Okay. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from our nation's Hi. capital, it's Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Poll for progressive issue groups, labor unions, uh, and Democrats. Mondays on Deadline DC, I talk to the people and players behind the politics and policies that drive our great nation forward. As usual, we have our Crackerjack executive producer, Mark Grimaldi, on hand uh, to keep the show running on time and keeping it online. We have uh, two guests today. Uh, in the first half hour, Mika Solna, who is a congressional reporter for Punchbowl News, joins us to discuss the congressional impasse on the budget, uh, the uh, uh, immigration reform and just about everything else, I guess. Uh, then in the second half hour, Hope Fry, who is the co-founder and executive director of Project Lifeline, uh, joins us for a deep dive on immigration policy. Uh, we're going to start with this clip. Uh, this is uh, the White House uh, uh, press secretary, Green uh, Jean-Pierre who is uh, talking about the uh, hardships faced by Ukrainian forces because they're running out of money. I'm concerned that as these talks continue and, and even make progress, that you're going to run out of time to kind of get Ukraine what it needs. I think, I mean, look, I, I think you've heard from NSC, you've heard from the Admiral, we've already run out of time. We have, when, as it relates to Ukraine. You know, the funding for, for Ukraine uh, ended last year, the end of last year. So we have, and we've seen uh, what Putin has done, right? He continues to, the barrage, the attacks on Ukraine just, just intensified. It's intensified. And so uh, that is what, uh, that's been the consequence of the lack of action. So we have to continue uh, to work with uh, Congress and, and be very clear with Congress. That's why the president brought, one of the main reasons the president had, every, had the leaders, uh, some of the leaders and um, uh, committee chairs here last week and ranking members here last week is to talk about Ukraine funding and how important it is that Ukraine has the, the funding that they need uh, and uh, the security assistance that they need to defend themselves against, uh, against Putin's aggression. And what that means, not just for their national security and their uh, democracy, but for our national security too. We know very well what happens if you don't stop a dictator. We've seen history. If you don't stop a dictator, what could happen? Right? And so the president has been very clear about that. We need to help Ukraine. That was White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre uh, talking about the need for funding uh, for Ukraine to uh, protect that democratic nation from the Russian onslaught. Our guest in this half hour is Mika Sona, who covers Congress for Punchbowl News. Uh, Mika, welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for having me. Uh, let's start with uh, Ukraine. Uh, there are two outstanding issues. 
uh, one funding for uh, Ukraine and one for is and another one from Israel. Uh, what's the prospects for Congress frying, finally coming up uh, with aid to those two nations? Yeah, so a lot of the foreign aid right now is tied up in these immigration and border talks as you know, lawmakers, uh, particularly Republicans, have tried to link uh, the border uh, issue to foreign aid in hopes of getting it to pass smoother. Obviously, we're seeing a lot of skepticism on Ukraine funding from Republicans, both in the House and the Senate. So the future of that is up in the air and in question. Um, Israel, I think, would be a little bit more likely. But again, I think it's all tied up to what's going on now in this in these Senate negotiations, which are actually on thin ice, I would describe, just kind of given the opposition from conservative Republicans and now former President Donald Trump, who's come out strongly against these talks and this bill, which has not yet been unveiled. Now, uh, you know, I was, uh, when I was thinking about uh, Ukraine before the show, I was uh, thinking about the old days when uh, Ronald Reagan, uh, the avatar of the Republican Party, uh, talked about uh, Russia as the evil empire. Uh, today's Republicans uh, show hardly any inclination at all, or many of them don't show any inclination at all uh, to help Ukraine. Uh, what accounted for the turnaround in uh, in uh, Republican uh, hostility towards the evil empire and Vladimir Putin? Well, I think a lot of Republicans have argued that they think the biggest threat facing the United States right now is China and the rise of Beijing. And I think that a lot of Democrats would agree with them on that point. Um, given the rise of, I guess, resistance to helping Ukraine, I think a lot of uh, members see that as, you know, not a priority. And I think with the rise of the of Trump's America first uh isolationist approach to foreign policy, it's become, you know, a little bit uh nuanced in that sense. But I think that, you know, the lawmakers argument is truly that Russia is no longer as big of a threat because of the rise of China that's overtaking um, and expanding very, very quickly and rapidly. Okay. I suppose uh, there's much more sentiment for uh, funding for Israel uh, in the Republican caucus uh, in the House than there is in uh, um, than there is for Ukraine. Is that true? Are we likely to get uh, more funding for Israel? I think it's very possible. Um, right now, obviously, the talks have been the slow, slowing down on any aid, and I think the House is really focused on other issues right now. They're trying to impeach DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas over the border, and I think a lot of the uh, conservative Republicans have made the border their number one issue, which makes it harder to get anything else across the aisle, especially something that's going to be a bipartisan win in an election year. Okay. And uh, for our listeners, uh, could you explain where we are uh, in funding for the federal government? I know we've had a couple of continuing resolutions. Uh, when are they about to expire and what are the prospects for coming up with the funding package uh, that would keep the federal government working? 
sure. Well, I think there's another deadline coming up uh, at the end of this month or later this or later next month, I should say. And then obviously another one, I think mid-March, which was part of the continuing resolution that uh, Speaker Johnson passed uh, earlier this month. So we they have a couple more deadlines coming up. Um, and I think that uh, the speaker is going to be in a very tough position with conservative Republicans, given the fact that he really has no other options besides passing continuing resolutions because or short term government funding bills because um, they're unable to pass these individual appropriations bills. OK, now uh, the uh, Republican majority in the House is kind of shaky right now. Uh, they've had uh, the former speaker, Kevin McCarthy, uh, resign. Uh, George Santos uh, also resigned. Uh, I believe there's another Republican member from Ohio who left to become uh, the president of Youngstown Uni University. Uh, how much of uh, operating, how much operating room does uh, Speaker Johnson have in the House? Yeah, I mean, Speaker Johnson has a two-seat majority now, and I just want to clarify that George Santos was expelled from Congress and did not resign, which That's makes which Republicans me. made You're it right. even harder on themselves by kicking out one of their own members. And I think that's why there was also opposition to that vote. But um, yeah, the two-seat majority is very, very tough. It means that you know every single vote counts, and the Speaker can't afford to lose any votes really like two votes if, um, you know, if any on legislation. And that's going to be really, really challenging for him, given how divided the Republican conference is in the House. Now, there's also a Democratic House member is about to resign, uh, Brian Higgins from upstate New York. Yes, um, there are a lot of retiring members, and I think that a lot of them are really experienced members that have been on the Hill for a long time. And I spoke to many of these earlier on um, about, you know, their reasons. And a lot of them are really fed up with the chaos on Capitol Hill, saying that, you know, they they came to legislate, they came to work, they came to govern and not uh, have a three week showdown to vote for a speaker or deal with Republican infighting. So a lot of there, there's a lot of frustration for some, obviously, making the decision decision is maybe due to personal reasons, but there is a lot of um, uh, disappointment, I think, among members and just in terms of how con what kind of place uh, Congress has become. Okay. We're going to take a break now uh, for our uh, uh, audio listeners, our audio, uh, our radio listeners. Uh, we're going to continue, though, with our uh, uh, viewers on Facebook and Twitter. And if you want to uh, keep listening on Facebook and Twitter, uh, please do. We'll be back with more of Mika Sola from Punchbowl uh, News right after this very short break. Welcome back to Deadline DC, Brad Bannon. I want to remind our radio listeners that if they want to... Uh, hear the show that goes on during the commercial breaks uh there are simple ways to do it uh you can watch the show at twitter.com front slash brad bannon on facebook.com front slash deadline dc with brad bannon and uh, front slash videos and also on youtube at youtube.com front slash deadline dc 
Our guest in this half hour is Mika Solna, who covers Congress for Punchbowl News. Uh, Mika, where are we uh, in, uh, where is uh, Congress in trying to uh, come up with a plan uh, on immigration? Yeah, well, Senate Republicans are really in a bind here when it comes to their bipartisan package on border and immigration because of opposition from Trump, um, who has put out statements on Truth Social saying that this would be a bad deal. House Republicans have been adamant that they only want to pass their hardline bill that they passed last year. Uh, known as HR2, that would uh, have a lot of measures that would be toxic to Democrats. So there's a lot of disagreement. And then I think, uh, obviously, the border is also a big issue, a big political issue for Democrats and the Biden administration, um, with uh, more Democrats really talking about how this is a huge problem and the administration needs to act. So all around, there's a lot of division and um, uh, frustration among the progressive border talks. Now, uh, you're right, uh, Donald Trump intervened in the uh, issue when apparently he told some House Republicans, I guess including the Speaker, uh, that he did not want to pass a compromise uh, immigration bill. Uh, Something, I should note, something had happened, I guess, over the weekend. Uh, One of the uh, prime uh, GOP Senate sponsors of the uh, immigration reform package, uh, Congressman James Langford from uh, Oklahoma, uh, was censored by the Oklahoma Republican State Party uh, for promoting the compromise. Uh, now, there are also a lot of uh, at least some Democrats uh, who are also opposed to the compromise bill because they think it is uh, too stringent. Uh, President Biden has spoken publicly about his support for the uh, compromise bill. First, tell our listeners and viewers what is in the compromise bill. Yeah, I mean, this bill basically would... Um tighten up some of the border patrols and allow it, make it easier for uh, the border border officials to send people back, but also uh, include some of the measures, which would be, um, you know, some forms of uh, some of the humanitarian efforts and, and aid that we've, that a lot of members have pushed back on. So this would basically not go as far as what House Republicans are asking for, but would shore up uh, border efforts as well. But of course, I do want to add that we haven't seen the text of the bill. So all we know is what lawmakers are telling us uh, right now. So how do you think this is going to play out? Uh, Are we going to get some kind of uh, immigration bill? Uh, Do you think it will be the uh, compromise bill that uh, Senators Langford and Sinema are working on? uh, Or will we get nothing at all? Well, I think that's the big question is that we're really unsure. I mean, I think eventually, like hopefully people are hopeful that there's still going to be some kind of text. But uh, I think Trump has created a major faction in this. And we heard um, Democratic negotiator Chris Murphy say last week that he said the bill is basically 95 percent done. And to let Trump derail it at this time would be a big disappointment to him and many others who have been working on it for months. Um, And I think that uh, a lot of this is political and Trump uh, wants to wait until his office to fix the border to not give Biden a win on the border, which is obviously a toxic issue for Democrats. Uh, Now, we talked about the Republican opposition to the bill. They don't think it's tough enough. 
there's also Democratic opposition to the bill because they think it's too tough. Uh, is yes. that a big consideration in the uh, what moves forward? So I, I think the majority of Democrats are acknowledging that there's a problem at the border and be, are becoming more vocal about it. But there's definitely a group, um, the key Hispanic groups on um, in Congress have been really outspoken, saying that these measures are just kind of parroting what the GOP has wanted. Uh, Biden's giving a win to Republicans by trying to work on negotiations to shore up some of these border security asks. Um, and I think that a lot of them are also upset that they're there's no representation by their groups or any um, Hispanic members that were part of these talks. Um, so a lot of them were really angry about that. So we're seeing a lot of pushback by them. There's frustration at the administration um, all across the board. On one side, people are mad that they didn't act sooner on the border, and now it's this big political problem for them. On the other side, you have people saying that uh, Biden's basically um, giving up the gun to Republicans, you know, saying that, uh, okay, this is what we're going to do. But overall, this is a huge, huge issue, and it's going to dominate this election, I will say. Okay. Now, let me ask you a question. Uh, uh, Donald Trump intervened uh, recently uh, in uh, saying he didn't want the Republicans to pass the compromise bill. Uh, is that a big consideration uh, among Republican House members? Uh, does uh, Trump's opposition uh, make it a non-starter? Yeah, I would say so. But I I would also say that uh, I think it would just capitalize on it being a non-starter, given the fact that uh, the majority of House Republicans say that they are not going to accept anything from the Senate that's not H.R. 2 or the equivalent of the bill they passed last year. So I think Trump just kind of proved the point that they had been making, saying that they're not going to accept anything that's less than what they passed. Do you think, do Republicans feel that if nothing happens, there is no immigration bill? Uh, they can use that as a uh, campaign weapon against uh, Democrats uh, in the fall. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Republicans have really uh, uh, spearheaded the narrative on this issue and have made it a huge campaign issue. And I think uh, not being able to get anything done is going to be um, campaign fodder for them to point to Democrats who um, have the Senate, have the White House saying that, look, we have this crisis at the border and they haven't done anything to fix it. Um, obviously, on the flip side of that, you'll have Democrats campaigning saying that Republicans have blocked any effort that they made. But a lot of them have said that, you know, they think that the narrative from their party has been lost on this, given the optics and given House Republicans continuing, Republicans on both sides hammering that the, the, the migrant crisis is huge. And you're also seeing Democratic mayors, I'm just going to add, also pushback. So it's it's really, really bad for the administration on this. Mika, that's all the uh, time we have. Uh, I want to thank you again for joining us on Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Uh, in the second half hour, we're going to uh, talk about immigration for the half hour. Uh, our guest will be Hope Fry, who is the co-founder and executive director of Project Lifetime, uh, Lifeline, uh, which uh, tries to assist immigrants uh, coming to the country. Uh, so we'll spend more time on the immigration issue, which I think is worthwhile because it's a very important issue uh, for any number of reasons. But again, I want to thank Mika. Uh, please stay tuned for the second half hour and Hope Fry from Project Lifeline. Uh, we'll be back right after this break. 
Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. In the first half hour, we uh, had uh, Mika Solna, uh, who covers Congress for Punchbowl News, discuss the uh, battle in Congress over the immigration issue. Uh, in this half hour, we have an expert on uh, immigration, uh, Hope Fry, the founder and uh, co-founder and executive director of Project Lifeline, which assists uh, immigrant children and families. Uh, we're going to play this clip first uh, about immigration uh, and uh, Texas razor wire. Meantime, we turn back to the breaking news on the border tonight. The Supreme Court rebuking Texas in a 5-4 vote. The justice is ruling that federal agents can remove razor wire installed by Texas authorities. The Biden administration had argued it was dangerous and inhumane. Terry Moran has covered the court for years for us. Tonight, a narrowly divided Supreme Court delivering a victory for the Biden administration, clearing the way for federal agents to remove razor wire fencing installed by Texas along 29 miles of the southern border. In a 5-4 to four vote, the justices overturned an appeals court ruling that had blocked federal agents from removing the wire. The Biden administration had argued that the razor wire prohibited federal agents from carrying out their duties under immigration law, and that it's the federal government, not the states, that has primary responsibility under the Constitution for border enforcement. But lawyers for the state of Texas had argued that the wire, which had been installed on the orders of Texas Governor Greg Abbott, had been strategically positioned for the purpose of securing the border and stemming the flow of illegal migration, and accused federal agents of destroying the wire to help thousands of migrants to illegally cross the Rio Grande. ABC News was on the ground in September as Customs and Border Protection agents lifted or removed the wire as migrants arrived on the Texas side of the Rio Grande. Administration officials and immigration advocates have called the wire dangerous and inhumane. These graphic photos obtained by ABC News show some of the injuries caused by the wire, some requiring medical treatment. While the court's order today did not elaborate on the decision, four justices, Clarence Thomas, Samuel Alito, Neil Gorsuch, and Brett Kavanaugh, voted to side with Texas and deny the Biden administration's request. Today's ruling is just the start of what's expected to be a major battle at the Supreme Court over the efforts by Texas and other states to take more control over their international borders. And the justices will be deciding all this against the background of a crisis at the border and the presidential election. David? Terry Baran from the court tonight. Terry, thank you. Okay. Uh, our guest in this half hour is Hope Fry, who is the co-founder and executive director of Project Lifeline. Before I bring on Hope, I need to vent. Uh, one of the things that disturbs me more than anything else when I watch the network news every night is seeing children hurt uh, by governments, especially. Uh, and, you know, you know, immigrant children on the Mexican border uh, now have to deal with razor wire, and I wish we could show you the picture of the razor wire that, that came along in that ABC clip, because it's really horrifying, and the injuries it does to people. Uh, you know, and I could say the same thing about, uh, you know, what's happening in Gaza. I just hate to see kids, uh, you know, brutalized, you know, wounded and murdered. And, you know, immigration is a pet peeve of mine. Uh, now, this is about 100 years removed, but my grandfather, James Bannon, 
was the first Bannon uh, born in the United States after our after our family immigrated from Ireland. And my grandfather used to tell me stories about how difficult it was uh, being Irish and Catholic uh, in the United States when he was a young man looking for a job. Uh, and, you know, he told me he used to go to, you know, factories and stores and, you know, he'd encounter, uh, you know, no not Irish need apply. Now, I know this is not the same situation, but it bothers me greatly when Americans ignore the contributions that immigrants, past, present or future, uh, have on our nation. Uh, and I just I just think, you know, American, many Americans, especially Republicans like Donald Trump, who want to demagogue this issue, are missing a point. Uh, immigrants are our future. Uh, America, United States has a declining birth rate and we're going to need immigrants uh, to pay Social Security taxes uh, for us old people. Um where they're going to need them to fill uh, jobs in the economy and even to fight in our armed forces. And I just think the Republican position on immigration, and I'm going to single out Governor Abbott of Texas, is so wrong-headed and so short-sighted, it drives me crazy. Now, uh, having got that off my chest, uh, I want to bring on our guest for this half hour, Hope Fry who is the co-founder and executive director of Project Lifeline. So you can listen to someone uh, talk about immigration uh, that really knows what she's talking about. Uh, Hope, welcome back to Deadline DC. Thank you, Brad. It's a pleasure to be here as always. Okay, let's start with razor wire. Now, a couple of things, you know, I, I don't get, and maybe you can help explain this is first of all, the Constitution says pretty clearly uh, that immigration is a uh, power that is vested in the United States of America, not the states. You know, the Republicans are always talking about strict interpretation of the Constitution, but Governor Abbott seems to insist it's a state responsibility. And, you know, then there's the razor wire. You know, how a government can do this to people, you know, whether they're American citizens or not, I have no idea. Maybe you can help me out with this. Well, I can't explain how a government could do it. It's beyond me. But you're right that Abbott has taken the position that he uh, is responsible for stopping the quote unquote hordes of illegals coming in because the federal government failed and that it's his obligation as a state. And Ron DeSantis has said, I am thinking that I will send the National Guard over to Texas to help you do this. Uh, 16 governors have supported Abbott in what he's doing. Now, let me just frame this for you, Brad. The Rio Grande, we're talking about the area around Eagle Pass. Eagle Pass is a city of about 28,000 people. 90% are of Hispanic origin. Um, the Rio Grande River runs 1,200 miles in that area. And we are talking about an area of 29 miles where 
$20 million has been spent by Texas to roll out 70,000 rolls of razor wire. So we're talking actually about a small space as things go, where there is a huge amount of human damage being done. There's a park that uh, where migrants exit the, a lot of them exit the Rio Grande called the Shelby Park. And the uh, Texans have closed the Shelby Park to border patrol, so they can't get in there to get the wire. Although if you wanna golf, you, you can go in. After the court order, the, the district court found that Texas couldn't sue the feds because of sovereign immunity. Texas appealed, so the, the government won, federal government won at the district court. The government appealed to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals and the Fifth Circuit issued a preliminary injunction saying that during the pendency of the, the, the case in the Fifth Circuit, the government couldn't cut the wire. And that narrow issue was appealed to the Supreme Court. And what the Supreme Court said is, we dissolve the injunction, the Fifth Circuit can't do that, which leaves the Border Patrol, uh, the Fort 1,400 Border Patrol agents in the Del Rio sector, a small number who are deployed to Eagle Pass, they can now cut the wire, but they're being denied access to it and Texas is rolling out more wire. In the meantime, we have Texas saying, we're gonna hold the line, uh, you'll never get us here, which has caused, like Trump and the January 6th insurrection, many people who are, are radically right to come together to say, we are patriots and we are gonna go to the border and support Abbott. And this is more dangerous to the United States than the hideousness of the concertina wire, the razor wire, because this again, pits people against people and creates civil disorder. Civil order is the basis of our democracy. So Abbott has, by what he's done, further inflamed the the uh, replacement theorists who are- uh, Hope I'm gonna have to interrupt you. We're gonna take a break. We'll be back with more Deadline DC with Brad Bannon right after this break. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. I just want to remind our listening audience that if you want to watch us as well as listen to us, uh, you can uh, check us, uh, watch us at twitter.com front slash Brad Bannon, at facebook.com front slash Deadline DC with Brad Bannon, front slash videos, or on YouTube at youtube.com front slash deadline DC. Our guest in this half hour is Hope Fry, co-founder and executive director of Project Lifeline. Uh, Hope, uh, let's continue. I want to ask you a question. Uh, actually, two questions. My first question is, what accounts for this fevered opposition to immigration. I mean, Governor Abbott seems to make, you know, has made this, you know, the, the cornerstone of his, you know, gubernatorial reign in Texas. Now you got armed people coming to the border to stop immigrants. What What's going on here? What accounts for the fever behind this issue? 
I think there are a number of driving forces, and this has been fermenting a long time. It's that thing about we are scared of the other. We are we, meaning the people who are who are uh, fighting this. They are afraid of something that they don't understand. And rather than welcoming immigrants with dignity um, and trying to find ways to absorb people so that they can work, as you were talking about, we need people in the workforce so they can have children. We need, we are aging too much. Rather than doing that, they say, you are taking what belongs to me. You are going to pollute the voting pool. You are going to uh, you are going to make it possible so that the progressives who want you know the communists and their socialists are going to take us over. I think that and Donald Trump took this and he said he appealed to the most base instinct and he made it okay to do this. He separated babies from their mothers. I saw babies, I don't mean one-year-old, I mean babies who were taken from their mothers and put in border patrol in freezing conditions. That's what Donald Trump did. And people didn't oppose it in the beginning. You know, it, it had a life of its own. So he has made it all right to hate other people and say so. That's, you know, that's a simple explanation, I think, of a, of a complicated, long-brewing problem. Okay. And uh, Donald Trump, uh, in our first guest today, Mika Sola from Punchball News, talked about this, uh, where Donald Trump's uh, opposition to any kind of immigration reform pending in Congress uh, has uh, created a crisis situation where there's not likely to be any political resolution of this. Uh, let me ask you about a couple of uh, specific things. Uh, the uh, first one is uh, there are talks now going on between the United States and the Mexican government uh, about immigration. Uh, is there any hope for those? And if there is any agreement, what's it likely to entail? Well, we already have some agreement and immigration numbers were down. They're down here in January. And the Biden administration attributes that to efforts by the Mexican government not to let people come across the border. We are looking at an unprecedented partnership and collaboration with Mexico through these talks. And Mexico has said, look, what we want is $20 billion uh, put into uh, eliminating corruption, poverty, and other forces in Mexico and in Latin America. And America said, eh, yeah, well, maybe. Uh, so there isn't a, a tit for tat here, but the Mexicans have their own problems. There is no infrastructure for immigration. Um, they don't want people there either. So what they've done is to deploy their National Guard and their pretty heavy duty police force along migration routes. And they are deporting people back to their home countries, Venezuelans and people um, from Latin America and, and beyond. Um, they're deporting them themselves. They are they are policing the border. Now, they've got a problem, a serious, I live in Mexico, um, and Mexico has a serious problem in trying to enforce anything because cartels are making billions of dollars off migrants in many ways, uh, transporting them, trafficking them, extorting them, 
it's a huge, huge industry. It goes right along with the profits in the drug industry and the weapons industry. So the Mexican government, which is inefficient, ineffective in dealing with the cartels, has to deal with them. I think Mexico, because they have their own problems, wouldn't mind some partnership with the U.S. It is, it is more likely than it's ever been uh, to have some sort of, of partnership. And, you know, the Biden administration, everybody, I don't like most of what the Biden administration has done at all. And the president had said in this proposed bill, there, it's, it's simply terrible. One of the things that we believe is in it is that when there are 5,000 people who have come across the border, the president must close the border. Well, 5,000 people is, you know, a very small number of people. And he's got to close the border. And he has said he will. He will. Um, if you want to call this a win for Biden, I say this is, you know, this is a disgrace uh, for Biden. I think, I think we have to, as a matter of policy, have partnerships, meaningful ones with other countries. This is an international problem and we have to have international uh, collaborations. I don't know about Mexico. Mexico has a lot of problems, even in wanting to help. But uh, I see the National Guard riding around in open air jeeps with automatic weapons mounted on the top. With uh, they wear, no matter how hot it is, ninja face masks and full body armor. And this is who's along the route. There's a lot of violence, a lot of vibrant violence towards migrants. So. I don't know, Brad. That's what's going on right now. Okay. Well, you know, that that's something else that bothers me about uh, this whole battle over immigration. Uh, here, you, and, you know, if I'm wrong, correct me, Hope, but it seems to me you have a whole group of people who are trying frantically to get into the United States, uh, seeking economic opportunities and political freedom. And, you know, it seems to me that, you know, even for conservatives, uh, they'd want to think the United States represents uh, economic opportunity and political, uh, you know, political freedom to the world. So, you know, how, how are we treating these people who are seeking economic opportunity uh, and political freedom, uh, like my uh, great-grandparents were when they came from Ireland? Uh, we're subjecting them to razor wire and armed attacks. I, I just don't get it. Uh, and it uh, really drives me crazy. Do you see any hope for resolving this situation at all? Brad, as you know, I think that cynicism uh, and a lack of hope brings us problems. So I always say I am hopeful. That said, we are no longer the beacon of light and hope that we were as a country for all these years. We, are, we have joined the right-winged majority of European countries and other places um, that are treating migrants the same way, the same way we are. I think it's a, it's a long-term problem. It's a huge problem. I am embarrassed myself as an American uh, and as my grandparents were immigrants, I am hugely humiliated and embarrassed by the conduct of my government, and that is the Democratic administration, uh, uh, too. Uh, you know, we, 
we need to, to look differently at immigration. For example, um, the cartels are, are a huge problem. Organized crime is a huge problem as it comes to the border. We need to treat this as a top national security priority, not just say, oh, it's terrible, but treat it, have international collaborations, have people who are trained, fund groups, collaborate with groups outside the United States. When we want to, we, have, we can deploy technology and we have the best people when we want to. So if we treat some of these problems and root problems in a serious way, we can begin to address our immigration problems by doing these things, which will stem the flow of drugs. It has collateral benefits. But I don't know, Brad, I, I will not despair. I refuse. Okay. Well, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad because we have to just keep working on these things. Uh, that's all today for Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. I want to thank our guest uh, we had today, uh, Hope Fry, co-founder and uh, executive director of Project Lifeline, which is assist immigrant families. Uh, I also want to thank Mika Solner uh, from Punchbowl News, who talked about uh, the immigration battle in Congress. We'll be back next week. The Lord is willing and the creek don't rise with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon.